Hey, road trippers, you have indeed reached Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits in rural Mexico. But before we can take off on this week's road trip, we need to fill up the tank, which is code for pay the bills, which is code for run the commercials for the folks who are enabling us to go on these agave road trips. So sit back and Chava and I will circle back to you in a second. Good food is worth a thousand words. This is Arthi Menon, and I'm delighted to share a new podcast with you. My Family Recipe from Food 52 and Heritage Radio Network. Adapted from Food 52's much-loved column of the same name, the My Family Recipe podcast will bring its pages to life. Each episode of My Family Recipe brings you a cherished heirloom recipe and the story behind it from voices across the world of food. We'd open these tubs of dough and they would exhaust these incredible yeasty fumes and it just smelled like nothing else. It was so intoxicating. I'll interview writers and chefs, parents and children about what's passed down along with the foods that we know and love. Chinese people aren't like born with a download on how to like velvet chicken. You know, like that's not something that just like comes to you. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is sponsored in part by Sacred, a not-for-profit that helps improve lives in the rural Mexican communities where heritage agave spirits are made. Since we obtained our official not-for-profit status from the IRS back in 2017, Sacred has gifted more than 32,000 Tobola agave seedlings to families in rural Oaxaca. These families are finding their cultural heritage at risk as access to agave is getting harder and harder due to the global explosion of interest in mezcal. Even as we continue to expand this program, we've also recently helped to launch a program that will build out three greenhouses in rural Jalisco to help protect four at-risk varieties of agave and three at-risk varieties of trees, while at the same time preventing these rare wildlands in Jalisco from becoming still more Blue Weber farms. To learn about these and other programs, visit sacred.mx. That's sacred.mx. If you love heritage agave spirits, please consider helping us protect that cultural heritage with a tax-deductible donation this holiday season at sacred.mx. Hey, Chicago, there's a gallery show going on that you won't want to miss. It's called Agave, and it features artwork made primarily from agave fibers left over from mescaleros in Oaxaca. I say primarily because there's also a musical instrument that looks something like a didgeridoo, but made from the heart and quixote of a madraquiche. Buy that and record a version of our theme song with it, and we'll feature it on this podcast. Agave will be on display in the Chase Gallery at the Epiphany Center for the Arts from now until April 9th. And every first Thursday, a different agave spirits company will be on hand to sample out some of the liquid agave art that we love so much. For details, visit epiphanyshy.com. That's E-P-I-P-H-A-N-Y-C-H-I dot C-O-M. Or... Follow the link from this episode page at agaveroadtrip.com. Hope to bump into you there. Agave 
I am Lou Bank. I am Chava Perivan. And this here is Agave Road Trip, the award-winning podcast that helps Green Gex bartenders better understand agave, agave spirits, and rural Mexico. And today, Chava, today I want to talk about the fact that everyone talks about mezcal, but no one drinks it. Wait, wait, wait. When you're saying everyone... Are you mm-hmm. talking about the people around you? Well, obviously, because I can't hear anybody that's not around me. That That's, well, okay, let me rephrase this. But, but literally, literally, I've got friends who are octogenarians who talk about it. I've got, like, well, you were the other day, you were telling, what? No, I will say that an octogenarian is exactly the kind of person that will be speaking about Mezcal. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because Mezcal, well, I'm going to make a point of this later on, but I definitely think that the... A extremely high percentage of the mezcal, if we can call it a scene, uh, I hate I hate calling something a scene, but uh, the mezcal crowd, I will claim that it's 60 and plus. Oh, you are just wrong. <laughs> so you're just a hundred. I mean, if are you talking about the mezcal crowd in Mexico? No, actually, I will. Yeah, no. In Mexico, no. I'll say the gringo mezcal crowd is 60 and plus. Okay, so you and I were just at Bowl of Zole. Yes. That is the beautiful Pozole, or I guess they call it Bowl of Zole. That is the, the Pozole and Mezcal Festival uh, in Brooklyn, right? And I want you to tell me, uh, again, thinking about everybody you spoke to over the weekend, what do you think the uh, the age category is well, for Moscow? But that is just correlated to the fact that we were in New York. And in New York right now, everybody's a young kid. Oh, you're just wrong. So <laughs> I would contend, in fact, the vast majority of people who are drinking Moscow are people who work in the hospitality industry. And okay. and I would say... Yeah, yeah, I would say that the reason, yeah, and and that is definitely not the sixty plus crowd. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just the crowd that I get but, to see. Okay, I get that. But <laughs> right, but you know, I think I think there's a, a point to be made here that if you look at the numbers released by the CRM, now known as Comercam, if you look at the numbers that they've released, right, mezcal sales are only, by volume, only 1.9% of tequila sales. Oh. Right? So mm. we've got 374 million liters of oh. tequila. Oh, oh, no freaking, 300, what? 374 million liters of tequila were produced in 2020, and of those, 286 million liters were exported that to means, more than 120 countries. Uh, that means they make more than 1 million of liters a day. Uh, yeah, that would be right. Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah, that, I, I cannot, yeah, I cannot visualize that. That's too much. And <laughs> You can't visualize it. That doesn't mean it's not true. But, you know, so you compare that 374 million liters of tequila to the 7.2 million liters of mezcal that the CRM said was produced in 2020. That's 1.9%. 1.9% mm. of tequila sales. I mean, if I wanted to see this in a, in a favorable, favorable light, uh, the other day I was speaking with someone and that guy asked me, he's from LA, and he asked me like from one to 10, where do you think Mexico City is in the route of not, of not being cool anymore? Like it seems like right now <laughs> it's starting to be cool and then it's gonna it's gonna just be a cliche later on. Like where in that route do you think Mexico City is right now? And I really thought about it in the same way that I think Mezcal is in percentages. I said like maybe two or three, you know, like it's it's just starting. So in a way, 
for for mezcal to be an absolute cliche in the world, uh, we're very far away from that. <laughs> well, yeah, sort of. But it's it's remarkable to me, and maybe maybe this really is the circles that I run in. But it's remarkable to me how often it comes up in conversation, and how many people appear to know about it. Mm. So you you know, I think it's it's. Um, it's remarkable how so many people talk about it and, you know, and maybe that is just really because I'm listening to it, but how many articles are written about it and how crazy we all get about it. Like it, it like the number of conversations we have about, we must keep it sustainable. Mm. We must, right. Like, and it's still, it's just so, so small. It's so small. Mm. So what you're trying to say, if I'm understanding, is that it's sort of a poster child. It's uh, and I and like and just from my perspective, something that you know, I used to work with ceramics and glass and other stuff, and I used to, I've been telling sort of the same story about sustainability and heritage and culture for a long time, but when my character for that story was ceramics or glass, I didn't have a lot of excitement. People were like, "Oh, okay, yeah, that sounds cool. That's fine. Well done, kid. Keep mm-hmm. it up." And the moment I started working with Mezcal and my character was Mezcal, it was, it was hilarious. It was literally funny how much more attention people will put on it and how much more excitement people will throw into the conversation. So, and, and what, do you think, what do you think that's about? I think as, uh, and I did a project about this when I, when I pass through university, because I have a theory that uh, as westernized as Western cultures, we are obsessed with biases, you know, like w- with all of these things that are stimulants and that are mm-hmm. beautiful and that changes chemically and that are part of a culture. Like there's so many complex elements to alcohol and specifically heritage alcohols that it's almost like we cannot grasp them. They are extremely obscure, beautiful, desirable things. And somehow that just really talks to, I, I, I don't want to say people, like it also talks to me. There's a reason why we do this, sure, right? Yeah. So I, I think it has to do that. It, yeah, it has to be something around that. Mm. I'm, 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 yeah, like I, actually, I, I really, let's do an episode about that later on because I think it's a, it's a bigger conversation. Sure. Sure. You know, I I think a big piece of it has to also be the fact that um, the world is certainly starting to wake up, not as quickly as some of us would like, but starting to wake up to how much damage we're doing to our environment and what the repercussions of that damage are. And, you know, as you like the phrase you use poster child, I like that because, you know, it's it's not as though um, mezcal can save the world. It, it, but mm-hmm. but I think it's uh, it, it's sort of a canary in the coal mine, if you will, something that mm-hmm. we can look at as an indicator of where we are. And, and and it's fascinating to me how many people have such people who agree with us on in principle on objectives right that we we would love to see Oaxaca stay beautiful and stay like Oaxaca and stay wild right um but we have such different <laughs> stay like Oaxaca stay wild stay wild that's a t-shirt yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um uh and and stay you know I hate to use the word authentic but you know to maintain these cultural traditions um 
but but we have such different can ideas. I, can I make a super fine? Wait, wait. Can I just make a super fine point of that? Sure. Because I I do hate the word authentic. I'll I will say to give these traditions the capacity on keep changing, in their own terms. Sure. Okay. Okay. But yeah, like okay. even yeah, that's yeah. Just, just but that. even yeah, that's yeah, yeah. so vague that you know when you come right down to it, you know, more more info from the CRM. Ninety two point seven percent of all mezcal made in twenty twenty. So ninety two point seven percent of that seven point two million liters of mezcal were made mm. in Oaxaca. And 90% of it was made from Espadine. So only 2.7% of all mezcal made in Oaxaca came from other species than Espadine. By other species, you mean cuiches, tepestates, arroqueños, jabalis. Yeah. All of and that, all, all of that stuff we fight for, it's only two point something percent. 2.7% from Oaxaca, in Oaxaca. I mean, there's like, obviously, <laughs> since 92.7% uh, of all mezcal comes from Oaxaca, it's more like uh, 7 to 8% uh, from other, mm. right, but, but from other places. But my point is, if 2.7% of what comes out of Oaxaca, of the mezcal that comes out of Oaxaca, is made from something other than espadine, then the maximum amount of mezcal coming out of Oaxaca that is made from wild agave, the maximum amount is 2.7%. And you and I both know that a bunch of that is tobala that is farmed. So what's my point? My point mm. is, my point is we continue to hear people say, stop drinking uh, mezcal made from wild agave uh, because you're going to destroy the wild agave. And the truth is, I, you know, and I've, I think I've said this in other episodes, but I want to beat this drum mm. loud. I don't believe for a second that the wild agave population in Oaxaca is at risk because we're drinking too much of it. I firmly believe that it is at risk because we continue to tear up the wild lands in Oaxaca to make field after field after field of farmed espadine. I think if I could think of a, an analogy or a similar context to that, it's not like cotton, like... Uh, beautiful cotton farms are in danger because of heritage textiles. It is because of H&M doing crazy exploitation of cotton with crazy GMO and fertilizers, right? Yeah, yeah. It's if you if if we if we were all to consume beautiful heritage textiles, there will be an excuse to have more organic cotton plantations that will be of native species. But instead, because a lot of us were under, yeah, just unfortunate textiles. We we just promote the 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 crazy cotton farms. So okay, so then with this in mind, with this concerned in mind, like, is it even responsible to try and get more customers to drink more mezcal? Yes, it is. And uh, why why would I say that? Because another huge surprise for me this week that we're in New York is. I, this is the first time I keep on hearing so many people saying, I want to drink things that are not from Oaxaca. I want to drink things that are not Espadín. And when you're saying drink more mezcal, I will say, well, it depends which mezcal. And I think that if you have as an agenda the well-being of the people that do this and of the environments that sustain this, I'll say well, then just bring people to other species of agaves, bring people to other cultures that are making these agave spirits to other states of Mexico yeah. 
And I and I think that could make a significant difference in the years to come. Yeah, you know, for for the whole industry. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I I I firmly believe that if if we promote a message like that, drink more more mezcal made from wild agave, drink more uncertified agave spirits made from uh, agaves that aren't espadine. Like, I think maybe 1% of the people we talk to hear that and do that. Uh, you know, I think I think the market is going to naturally find its way to Oaxacan espadine. So I don't think that's at all at risk. And I don't think we have to worry about that. Um, it's it's going to build just fine, but I do think I th- do think that it's it's important that we try to redirect where we can in order to minimize that environmental impact on that one that one state and really like five communities in that state. And I think that it's not only uh, on the side of the customer. Uh, I was just having this conversation with Moises, which is a young kid, very enthusiastic young kid we met in Michoacan a few weeks ago. And he was telling me of how much he wants the producers he's working with to certify his agave spirits because he wants them to have better access to markets. And I told him like, Híjole, like that, that doesn't, for the scale and the type of beautiful things that these guys are doing, that might not be your cure. That might not be the thing that is going to give you more access to markets. So it's not only that the customers or the people that are drinking this understand what the possible future of a diverse market of agave is, mm-hmm. but it's also on the side of the producers. They've been educated and quote unquote educated to to try to 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 get more successful. But the the story they're telling them of how to get successful, it's more attached to a farm a lot of agave of one species and try to scale a certified agave spirit. So I think if also the customers start telling this story more often, someone like Moises can be like, hey guys, I have another route. There's this route, but there's also this other route that we can take. And that's not very present right now on the producer side of things, I think. There's, you have mm-hmm. very few kids that understand this in a, in, a, in a very clear-cut way, like Lalo or like just some guys that already have a really big market of tourists that have been coming to them, telling them like, you don't need to certify this. We'll drink it no matter how it's called. Yep. Yep. Right. Yep. So, so I think that's why it is important. Beautiful. Okay. Well, I think that leaves everybody with something to think about. <laughs> so I think, I think we can, <laughs> yeah, I think sure. we can call that an episode Java. Awesome. Well, see ya soon, señorito Lu. Ahí nos vemos. Hasta pronto. Adios. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lubank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends. And please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly. Eat responsibly too. And listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.